Amen. That's good. Is that a, is that a song? All the single ladies? Okay. You can tell who, who grew up in church and who didn't. <laughs> Pastor Stevie's teaching me a few things about the world that I have no idea. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming today. Uh, If you're here for the first time, uh, thank you for being here. We're just a big, happy family most of the time. Uh, We're not a perfect family, but we're a pretty good functioning family. Amen? Because if you don't function, we just kick you out or throw you in the snow. All right. Anybody enjoy driving in the snow this week? All right. If you're newer to the state of Idaho and you grew up in a state that didn't have snowstorms like this, we think it's funny watching you struggle. I'm just been here about 31 years and we've been through lots of these and I will tell you this in two years you will enjoy watching the other people struggle because you will learn how to drive in it Uh, but I love I love these big storms Uh, they're a lot of fun after about the third one, you know, shoveling snow at the church isn't so much fun anymore. Uh, but it, it, I love it because Idaho is like this. This is like the real Idaho. When we moved here, uh, 30, 1990, uh, it was 26 below zero our first year here. And that we thought, is this, is this it? Is this, it was like the worst year on record. So fortunately we haven't hit that, but uh, it does get cold, but that's the beauty of Idaho. Amen. So I hope you enjoy it. Drive crazy because I love watching you stuck in the ditch. Just the way it is. Actually, no, I do. I, I, I'm going to say no. If you don't get hurt, it's just kind of funny. Um, I do have a winch on my pickup. I used to actually just drive around and pull people out of the ditch. It was really great um, back in the day. And now I just laugh. I'm just kidding. No, I hope if you need to. Hey, we're going to have fun today. Uh, it is obviously Valentine's Day. And we're going to talk about relationships, uh, not just marriage, because the things I'm going to teach you today can apply to any type of relationship that you're in. Uh, mostly it's going to be the married stuff. Um, and I expect us to laugh because some of the things I have to say are really just funny because they hit home. It's like, okay, this is real relationships. Uh, so most often, I'll start it off with this. Most often any relationship is a battle between what I want and what you want. Think about that. Most relationships, you go to a, a car lot, okay, you have an idea in mind of what you want, and the salesman has an idea of what he wants. The salesman wants to make as much money off you as possible. You want to, to, to pay the least amount as you, that you can, which takes away from his commission. And you both have this idea of what you want. Hopefully, you'll meet somewhere in the balance. Okay, when you get married, you get in with this relationship of what I want out of this, and, and you don't really think about what they want out of it. You, you say you do. Okay. But in reality, it's kind of a, a selfish thing. It's like, I'm, I'm going to get something out of this relationship. Um, there's this battle, okay? Uh, we want heaven without commitment. I want heaven, but I want to just live the way I want to live. We have this tendency to do that. And so anyone who gets married wants a great marriage. The problem lies with how to get there. Lies with how to get there. Now, I have six pages of notes today, so I'm going to stick to my notes, and you all know that that's a good thing. Because if I don't, I rabbit trail. I'm a little lady these sometimes. Uh, and so if I look at my notes, it's because I, I respect your time. And I know you have some expectations for the rest of the day. We'll get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. Our problem is we often have false expectations of how a great marriage is achieved. Because it's really a self-centered thing. So what we're going to deal with today really is kind of ourselves. Uh, We have to deal with ourselves in order to have a healthy relationship. I have to deal with the self-centeredness in my own heart to have a healthy relationship. See, part of our problem is that we've allowed Hollywood to set our expectations of what a happy relationship looks like. Think about this. Before 100 years ago, 
okay, a hundred years ago or, or past, who set a good example of what a marriage should be? Right? You didn't have TV, you didn't have Hallmark, you didn't have Disney. And now what we fight is these little girls growing up watching Disney in which the princess is always saved by the, the, the dashing knight in shining armor. This guy that's great, and he never, he never has bad breath, he never does anything wrong. He's just, just a great looking guy that's all about serving her and helping her and rescuing her. And so these little girls have this idea that that's what a marriage or that's what a good relationship is, is he comes and saves me. And, and, and then he builds this big old castle. And you know why Disney ends with the wedding? Because 10 years down the road, she's not happy with the castle anymore. She's like, I don't like this castle. Well, I built this castle for you. Yeah, but I want to change it. Well, you've been changing it for the last nine years, honey. Yeah, but, yeah, but this is different. This is, I want this paint. I want it. I never, hey, did you see the castle down the road? <laughs> Y'all laughing because you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like you build her a big castle and she wants somebody else's castle. And you're like, you're like, woman. Yeah, that was an uncomfortable look. You're like, how do I respond to that? But you know I'm right. I've, I've learned two things from talking for 30 years publicly is a crowd is either quiet because they agree or you're boring. Okay? <laughs> That's just how it is. But we've had Hollywood set these expectations of what a happy relationship looks like, all right? Again, it centers on what Prince Charming can do for you. Romantic movies, Hallmark. And you can't blame a little girl because she's been programmed that this is what a happy relationship looks like because it sets these expectations. You ever went to a restaurant and you look at the pictures of what you want to order? There's like this beautiful hamburger and it's, man, this is huge. And you get it, it's a little dinky and you're going, what's the deal? Well, that's it. It's kind of like marriage. It's like, here's what I think I want. This is what I look like, but here's what I really like. Now we have apps on our phone. You can take a selfie and change your whole look. Now you, just, you can spend 10 minutes fixing a picture of yourself when a man just takes a picture and posts it. We don't care. Like, man, we don't, we don't bother. We're like, Atlas, good enough. Because every man walks by a mirror and says, Atlas lives in there somewhere. All right? A woman, it's true. A woman will look at what she's not, and a man looks at what he isn't, but thinks he looks like to you. So men, we have a lot more confidence in women, don't we? Come on, just give me a good, healthy amen. Because what I'm going to do is by whoever amens the most, I will switch to your side. So ladies, if you want me, that's just how I work. You see, what is pictured or expected versus reality. Okay, we have these ideas of what a relationship looks like, and then we have reality. But here's what we secretly think. If you do what I want, we will have a great marriage. My wife and I have done 30 years of marriage counseling. We know this to be true. If, if, if you would just do what I want, our marriage would be great. In, in a business, okay, if the boss would just do what I want, that would be great. If the salesman would just give me the sale that I want, which is 180% off, 200, then, then I'll be happy. We have this idea that, that if they will just do what I want, then everything's going to be great. But, but very seldom have my wife and I counseled with people where there was a marriage issue, a relationship issue, where one person said, you know what, I, I cause most of the problems here. I need you to show me how to love her better or how to love him better because I'm, I'm mostly at fault here. I'm married to a good man. I'm married to a good wife. I'm messing this thing up. I need you to show me how to do it right. Very, very rarely do we have people do it. Usually it's, well, I'm not perfect, but... Anytime you follow it with the word, but, you just nullified what you just said, right? Honey, I love you, but... You know what I'm talking about? We do that. So learn not to say, but, especially in church. That was a terrible joke. Why'd you laugh? All right. 
So if you agree with me, you'll encourage me. If you agree with me, tell me I'm right. If you'll apologize when you're wrong, which will be often, then I might like you better. Then our marriage might be a little happier if you will just be what I want you to be, if you will meet my needs, my expectations. And there's a few on Valentine's Day. I've experienced a few Valentine's Days. There's expectations that everybody has. And, and I, I was joking with my daughter this morning. I said, we should, we should call it the, the great day of unmet expectations. Right? That's really instead of Valentine's Day. It's just because a lot of people have these ideas of what it should be like. And rarely is it what you think it should be like. So our marriage will be great if you just do this stuff. See, it's your behavior that makes or breaks the marriage. A lot of times we think that, that, that if you just did what I want, everything would be fine, but that's not the case. So today's Bible lesson is really about helping ourselves understand that we're really selfish people and we need to combat that. How do we do it? I'll tell you in just a moment. We have this battle of the wills and it's natural instinct to look out for ourselves that we have to fight on a day-to-day basis. So here's what we're gonna deal with today. On the screen, selfish desires. Hollywood feeds it. The Bible says to fight it. Hollywood will feed the selfishness. It'll feed everything that it th- thinks that you want to eat. And the Bible says you've got to fight that. So the title today is The Balance in the Battle, because there is a battle. Every good relationship has a certain amount of battling. Every healthy marriage has a certain amount of battling. If there's never a battle in a marriage, it means that you're not trustworthy enough to say what you need to say. Right? So, so a good relationship actually has some combat. It actually has some different opinions. And, and when I trust you to still love me when I tell you what I really feel, that's where a relationship really is intimate. A non-intimate relationship is very superficial. You don't say anything that might upset the other person uh, because, because you're on shaky ground. But that's not what a good relationship is made out of. There's always a battle to fight. I don't know of one marriage that doesn't battle something at times. Again, a successful, happy marriage isn't a battle-free zone. It's a fighting fair zone. Your problem, I posted this this week, your problem is often created by your opinion. You ever had that happen on Facebook? You gave an opinion, start a war. My wife was reading some that's just people in in Hawaii about a photographer and and all these people were just blasting this person for saying, hey, if you need some pictures taken, I'd be happy to take your picture. And she just got roasted for it. Like, well, you should hire local, you should do this. Okay, you wanna start a war, post something on Facebook. Right? If you stay off Facebook, you'll stay out of the war. I haven't been on Facebook for about a week or just very little. And I will tell you this, my life was more peaceful this last week. Okay? Because I just like I just don't want to be on it. All right? So again, like I told you either Wednesday or last Sunday, if I didn't like the picture of your little cat, it's just it's not because I don't like you, it's just because I probably didn't see it. Just how it is. Why? Because when we spend too much time on social media, we'll get sucked into opinions. And then we'll begin to give an opinion and people don't care about your opinion anyway. If what I post really made a difference, <laughs> it might be something most of the time it just ignites the fire. Well, in our relationships, it's the same way. There are certain times that you just need to learn to keep your mouth shut, right? Well, I got a good amen out of that. Um, all right. So it's important to know what God's word says about your situation so that we can actually live it. It's not about the knowledge. It's about the application of what you know. So I got to get my little table here because I have a little illustration I want to show you. Anybody ever, ever painted a house? Yeah. Anybody ever painted a house just because the color needed to be changed? Not, a, not that it needed to be protected? There should be a lot of yeses in here. If you're married to a woman, that's probably the case because we're pretty good at just saying, hey, I'm okay with that same color. It's been there for 30 years. Um, all right, so with paint, okay, we can agree that what is in this little paint can here will protect a house. 
As a, I was a professional painter, so I'm, painting is a thing. I didn't, I didn't really ever paint houses just to make them prettier. My thing was it's a coat of rubber that's going to protect your siding so you don't have to buy new siding. My, my, my brain's a little bit different. I want it to look good, but the main reason I paint my house is to protect it because you protect what's important to you. You really do. All right, We can agree that the paint color is great. We can agree that what's inside this can actually will protect a home. We can agree to that. But if you leave it in the can... It doesn't do any good. We can agree with it without applying it. And it's the same way with God's word. We can, we can say, yeah, God's word is right. But if I never apply the word of God to my life, it's not going to protect anything. See, I protect my spouse by saying, okay, here's how I need to live. And I believe that my, my job, and I fail sometimes, is to protect my wife's heart. Is to say, okay, God gave me a woman and I need to protect her. It's his daughter. So my job is to protect her heart, okay? Now, we're not always good at doing that because sarcasm is natural for me, okay? And it's something that I have to fight. And, uh, and so that's a battle I have. But So I can believe that paint's great. I can believe that it's the right color. I can believe a lot of things about it, but if I don't apply it, it's no good. So I gotta apply what I'm gonna learn today for my relationships to be better. Paul, the apostle, gives us a biblical prescription for our relationship problems. It's found in Philippians chapter two, verse one through 11. We're gonna read one through four and then talk about it and get the rest of it later. He says this. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. In other words, if, if you got saved and you're encouraged by that, and the word if there, is, the Greek actually means since. S- since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, since you have comfort from his love, okay, since you have fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. And he's writing to the Philippians saying, guys, you need to live this way. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And he says a hard verse here, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So let's get into this. He says, since you have received these benefits, give what you have received. Have you received encouragement from Christ? Then give encouragement. If, if you've received comfort, give comfort. Tenderness, compassion, be that to people. Be that to your spouse. And why does Paul tell us to do this stuff? He tells us to do it because it does not come naturally. We are not naturally tender. We are not naturally compassionate. We are not naturally givers. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe me that we're born self-centered, just volunteer to work in the church nursery for a while and you will find. There's two words that kids love to use. It's no and it's mine. You don't, you don't have a new kid drop them off in the nursery and have all the kids go, hey, here's, here's my toy. You can play with it. You're new to the church. I can see that. No, it's, that's mine last week and I've been at the church longer than you. I've been here for five months and you've just got here today, pal. So that's my toy. That self-centeredness starts at a very young age. And it's so something that we have to fight it. It does not come naturally. Our tendencies, again, are to do the opposite. Instead of encourage, we usually criticize. When you see somebody slid off the, in the, the, the snow and the ice, you, you, instead of going, oh, you're like, yeah, you're driving too fast. <laughs> right? Just go, go a little too quick and you'll learn, Right? I'm not sure if I'm making sense to you. Let me, let me tell you a little illustration. Let's talk about a cheerleader and a quarterback. Okay, in high school, okay, you have the quarterback who dates the cheerleader. That's kind of the normal you know, thing that happens, right? So what you have here is you have this girl who's dressed cute in her little skirt, cheering on 
her man out on the field, cheering him on. He gets hit, he, he, he fails, he fumbles, he, whatever. What does she do? She just constantly says, no, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. So she cheers him on for playing sports. And she looks good doing it, right? So he's like proud. And it, it works in high school. You can kind of hide behind the uniform a little bit. And then the quarterback and the cheerleader gets married. And, and he wants to go hunting or he wants to go play a ball. And now she's not dressed so cute anymore. She's in a pair of old sweats and a frumpy t-shirt. Now she's nagging him for wanting to do the same thing that she cheered for him to do in high school. You understand how confusing that can be for a man? It's like, I want to go hunting. You go kill that duck. No, no, no. Well, you, you go hunting again? See how confused we are? It was like you cheered for us and now you're nagging us. What, what's happening? What, I don't understand. He's still trying to go slay the giant. The best thing you could do is, honey, you go kill the biggest bull out there. I believe in you. He'd be like, watch it out with his gun. Yeah, right. That, that, but you understand what I'm saying? In, in high school, it worked. And all of a sudden, in married, it, it's real life. The thing that you cheered him on to go do is now the thing that you're nagging him about. So ladies, I want to tell you a secret. Guys, just shut your ears now. It's not for you. It's not for you. All right. If you have this issue of your husband wanting to go play sports or go hunting or do things and it's just, you think it's too much, and you're like, nagging, does nagging work? Okay, nagging does not work. I heard a man, you're not supposed to be listening. Um, okay, nagging does not work. I have a theory that I want you to try. The next time he's gonna go hunting or go golfing or go fishing or do whatever, I, I, want, you to, I want you to do that. I want you to try something and report back to me. I want you to put your cutest dress on. I want you to get perfumed up. And I want you to, as he's walking out the door, give him a big old kiss and say, I'll see you when you get home, big boy. I'm telling you. He will find reasons to leave his hunting party a little early. He'll be like, boys, I'm kind of cold. I think I'll just go home. And better yet, send a little sexy picture of yourself to his phone while he's out there and see if this works. I'm going to guarantee you most men will come home a little early from the hunting trip just to see what you're talking about. If nagging don't work, maybe an invitation will. Are you enjoying the sermon so far? All right. Because the Bible actually talks about that. If you read Song of Solomon, okay, there's a lot of flirting going on in Song of Solomon between two married people. You see, I think we've kind of in church gotten away from the fact that we should flirt with our spouse, that we should do things that they enjoy. We shouldn't just nag all the time, but we should maybe just change how we do things and see how that works out. So y'all try that. Man, do I get her name in? Should they try that? Love it when I'm right. All right. Love it when I'm right. Love it when I'm right. All right. Ladies, how you dress in public is really important. Okay. Especially single ladies. I'm going to just be straight up with you here because I usually lie. So I'm going to just be honest with you. Does that bug anybody else that somebody says, can I be honest with you? No, lie to me, right? I like, I like honesty. So I'm going to be honest with you. If you're a single lady and you dress, dress in a way that's seductive, you're going to catch who you're fishing for. You're probably not going to get a really good Christian guy who's going to go after you if you're showing everything. Because here's what a man looks at. If you're showing cleavage, if you're showing a lot of skin, you're advertising what he thinks is your perceived character. In other words, you're saying this is available. 
And that's not what a godly man looks at. I mean, a godly man wants to look at it, right? But a godly man says, you know what? If that's the kind of woman you are, I really don't, I don't, really don't want that. And that's not what I'm looking for. And so you got to be careful how you dress. Now, at home, dress for success. Dress however you need to dress, right? <laughs> See, it's different. I missed that one first. <laughs> I said success. You heard what I said, right? Okay. It's different. Okay. Men are visual. Okay. Be romantic. Ask him if he wants to go fishing sometimes, right? Because you can be, I'm not, I'm not making any sense. I'm going to have to use my illustration. All right. In a marriage, we have, we have what I call lures. All right. And there's certain things you can do to lure people. Now, this is what's not fair. What's not fair is men are very simple. Aren't we, man? We're, we're, we're simple creatures. All right. This is a man's toolbox, or uh, it's tools. It's a, a, a tackle box, and this is a woman's. Okay? This is all a woman needs. Something black and lacy. <laughs> this catches a man every time. Every day. All you need is one lure, ladies. We're easy, right? So you use this yesterday, it caught him, you use it today, it caught him, you try it tomorrow, it'll catch him again. Two weeks down the road, still working. Okay? So no, just listen to you. This is what's so confusing about a, a, a guy's way of thinking. A man goes, well, she catches me on this, so I can just, I need one lure. That ain't the case. For a woman, she gonna need a whole lot more. Okay? Okay? Well, easy. Okay, woman's. Catch this guy. So man thinks, okay, this works on me. A man pulls his lure out. He dangles it. She bites. It's got some pink on it, some black. She bites on it. That was yesterday. Today he's, he wants some, so he pulls it out. He's, he goes like, and she goes, uh-uh. He's like, he's like, wait a second. That worked yesterday. So he, he pulls something else out. And he dangles it. She bites. He's like, okay, got it. Next day, he pulls this one out again. She says, uh-uh. Now he's confused. He's like, I don't understand you. How come, how come it's not working? Because this works every time. How come you're not? So now he's, he's, he's looking through his whole tackle box going, I have no idea what she likes. And then he gets this idea. Wait a second. Something new. And she's like, oh, yeah, she bites it because it's new. Right? He pulls it out of the package. Next day, he, he dangles it. She says, uh-uh. It's hard to be a guy because we have no idea what's going to work. So we're going through the whole tackle box going this, no, this, no, this, no. And then, and then you show him like this one. And she's like, no. And then her girlfriend shows her this. And she goes, oh, that's so cute. And you're like, what? I showed that to you yesterday. Well, that was, today is not yesterday. It's different. So ladies, to, to be a man is really difficult. So I get an amen from the men because we don't know which lure is going to work for the day. And you're like, well, you just need to try them all and see which one I'm biting on. We get tired of trying after like five. Like, she's not going to like that one. And then all of a sudden she says, I don't like the tackle box anymore. And we're still good with this. It's like, we're just good with this. We're just good. We're, we're simple. So we have this battle of relationships of going, okay, what works for me isn't going to work for you. And what worked yesterday may not work tomorrow. 
So as men, we get really confused with this. Right, guys? I mean, we're good with the same pair of jeans as long as they're, you know, I heard somebody say one time, a man will wear his underwear as long as the elastic still snaps. It's fine. But ladies, you're always changing things up and we love that about you and we hate that at the same time because it's, it's difficult. Because men, we like, hey, this is works and it's not broke. I still get teased for my iPhone 5. See, and, and, and the only people that amen are women going, yeah, you need to change phones. The guy's like, hey, it's not broke. Don't, don't fix it, right? I don't have a guy except for Pastor Stevie who harps on me for having a five, but different story. Because <laughs> he's a techie person. I like my iPhone 5. It works. Do I get an amen? It works, okay? So I'm still with this lure, baby. It works, right? It works for me. We have an iPhone 10 at home because my wife got the brand new 12. And the iPhone 10 has been sitting on the counter for a month now. I have, I don't go look at it and go, oh, I think I, I'm, I don't care. Because my iPhone 5 is still working. But if we didn't have women, we wouldn't have beautiful things. So how, do, how does this battle play out when it's like, you need to change, but I don't want to change. But we need to change in order for things to get better. But I'm okay with what is. It's a very confusing thing. What it comes down to really is men are, are more simple than women. We really are. Aren't we? We're kind of easy, right? It's, it's again, okay, it's Valentine's Day. So all we need is a little black thing with lace. Every Valentine's Day, it will work. Am I making you uncomfortable? Good, because I'm trying to teach you something. But if you try giving a woman the same thing every Valentine's Day, <laughs> you're in trouble, buddy. You're not going to see the lace, all right? We teach marriage classes that you'll be all right. All right? So we have this, this battle of the wills, the battle of expectations. Now, what I'm teaching you guys is really, it's a biblical thing. The Bible says that we are not to look at pleasing ourselves, but to please our spouse. What, what, did, if, what does your spouse like? You need to figure that out. And as a man, I will tell you, it's very difficult. For me, I don't buy my wife jewelry, okay? I don't just pick something out because I would guarantee you she's not gonna like it. Because we look at stuff and I think, oh, that's cute. She's like, eh. Like, oh, I like it. Like, I love opals. She likes diamonds. Diamonds are plain. They look like pieces of glass. And opal actually has a lot of different characters, but you can't convince her of that. Okay, she just, it's, it's personality. She just doesn't care for opals and I love opals. I think opals are beautiful. I'm not gonna change her. I'm not gonna buy her a bunch of opals and go, you will like opals. And until you like opals, I'm not buying you nothing else. That's not the way. I have to, I have to say, okay, if that's not her taste, that's not her taste. Outfits, I don't buy her clothes. <laughs> I, I gave her gift cards, right? Because I wouldn't know what to buy. <laughs> Actually, I, I would buy, I would buy, let's be honest, let's be honest, what I bought, she might not want to wear, but, okay, now we're going way further in second service than we did first, but that's because you're more mature and can handle it, all right, you're all laughing because you know we're right, God made us this way, guys, we got to celebrate the things that God made us, and we're not, it's not perverted, it's biblical, Okay, it's a biblical thing. And like I said, your second grader is going to hear about it in school wrong. My job as a pastor is to teach it right, to say that God made this and he made it to be a beautiful thing. So how do I deal with a self-centered beast within me because it lives within me? First of all, we got to get to the root of the problem and I got to agree with reality. Reality is this, humans tend to be self-centered. That's where the root lies. It relies in I want what I want. It's a selfish nature thing. See, my selfish nature, okay, again, the world says feed it, the word says fight it. 
And this started in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, it was a beautiful garden. It was perfect, but there was one thing that God said, don't touch, and that was the one thing that they did touch. It's a self-centered nature. We just, we just want things for ourselves. So here, Paul gives us a prescription to this problem, in verses three and four. So he sa- tells us again, do nothing out of selfish amb- ambition or vain conceit, meaning it's all about me, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that can be really hard sometimes. If you've ever read the book, The Five Love, Five, it's just ice, don't worry about it. Some of you thought that was a rapture. Look <laughs> at And half the people just pull their guns out. They're looking around like, welcome to Idaho. That's just the way it is, right? Thank you for not pulling out your pistols. Um, did my wife jump? I bet she did, huh? Did you jump? She, she jumps. She jumps at Disney movies. It's, it's kind of funny. Actually, half the fun of watching a movie with her is watching her jump at those moments. A whole new world. How much she... Right. And that's the point where I would get hit if I was sitting next to her in the movie. I love it. She's a lot of fun. All right. So each of you, again, should look, look not only to your own interest. And this is hard because I think that my wife should be interested in the things that I'm interested in. And that's not always the case. And we can get this frustrating going on is we don't have any interest. No, you do. You got to figure them out. But it's also okay to pursue things that the other person's not interested as long as you're both okay with it. It's healthy for them. They, they didn't change when you married them. Their personalities are still the same. They're still going to be the same. And you have to say, you know what? If you're interested in hunting, man, go have fun. Just go, just go have fun. But make sure that you take care of her interests too. Right? If she, there's things that she wants to do, if she likes to you know, shop or whatever it is that a woman likes to do, give her some money. Give her cash. Because you can't spend more than you have when it's cash. With a card, it might, you know, it, you got to be careful. Y'all laughing because you know I'm right, okay? So you got to be careful with, with not just serving yourself. And that's, that's what he's trying to teach us here. You shouldn't just look out to your own interests, Okay? Do nothing out of selfish, that is so hard, it is almost impossible to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, quit putting yourself first all the time. The only way to fight selfishness is by giving. If you tend to be greedy, start giving. Just force yourself to, because that you will overcome the greediness. You also have to do things to fill your tank. And that's why, again, my title is the battle of the balance, because there's a balance. If you're a mom of toddlers, Okay, or kids in general, there is a lot of out of balance. Or why? Because there's a lot more going out than there is coming in. And you really do have to take care of yourself. You need to do things that fill your tank. Okay, self-care, that's like a big thing these days. Um, I'm cautious with that because in a selfish society, it's like self-care, it's almost like I'm gonna take care of myself and I'm gonna put everybody else behind me. You gotta be careful with your motive in that because it can become a self-centered thing. So my thing is that self-care is okay. It just shouldn't be at someone else's expense. Okay, so take care of yourself, but not at someone else's expense. That's why I say there has to be balance in the battle. Consider others better than yourselves. So do you want a great marriage? Both of you think like this. Okay, I gotta consider my spouse better than me. Now, I understand I'm gonna say some things that probably cause some frustration for those of you who are what I, I call in a one-way marriage because that's, that is, you're doing most of the work and the other person is not. Yeah. And half of you just said, that's my marriage. <laughs> it's true, that's how we think. I'm doing all the work, that's not really true. But there are truly marriages where I call it a one-way marriage where one person is trying their best 
and like they give and they give and they give and the other person just takes and takes and takes and, and, and it's just this war going on. It's like, I'm not getting anything back. Now, marriage needs to be both and. We need to give toward each other. That's a healthy marriage. And I believe that most marriages can achieve that. We just have to figure out how and why. <laughs> some, of you, some of you need to be needed. So you married a guy because you're like, he needs me, he needs me. And after a while you realize, no, he's just needy. All right. what, what you thought was great, he needs me, he needs it now, he's just needy all the time. And so the thing that you were attracted to is now the thing that drives you crazy. Can I get an amen? Because that's really true. Some of you, you're like, oh, she's late all the time. She's, oh, you're, you're on a date. And she's five minutes late. She put her makeup on because she wants to look good for me. Oh, it's just five minutes. And then you get married. You're like, woman, we need to go. How much time do you need? Five minutes. A man has no idea what five minutes means. Okay, because men, we typically with sports, we know time clock. We know five minutes is five minutes. We got to get the ball down the field. There, there is a clock running. And a woman, it, it, the clock is running, but she gets to call timeouts. You ever watch a football game? Three minutes left can last 45 minutes. So we're still going, okay, what was cute when we were dating now drives me crazy. The, the things that he does, it drives you nasal. When you, were, when you were dating him, it's, oh, he's so cute. He's, oh, he's just great. And now he's like, I can't believe he does that. Well, he did it before. Now it just annoys you. That's why dating for a long period of time is better because you get to know people's habits and, and just realize, okay, is this a deal breaker? Is this something that's gonna drive me crazy or is it something I can live with? Now, I don't believe that, that God shows you everything about the person because you may all never get married if that was the case. You'd be like, no, this is, this is too much work. Consider others better than yourselves. Often a, mar- a giver marries a taker. Again, this is why infatuation is so deadly is you don't take the time to really see the other person's character. Or you marry the, with the idea that you're gonna fix them. Now, ladies, I will tell you this. You're way more guilty of this than men are. It's just, it's just it's statistically true. Women will marry a man going, you know what? I can fix that. I can fix him. I can fix that anger. I can fix that. I, I can fix the laziness. I can fix the, you know, bouncing from job to job to job to job. I can fix it because when he marries me, okay, I'm going to fix him because I'm amazing. And then reality hits is you ain't fixing nobody, honey. It's true. Because the man don't want to be fixed. Man don't want to be fixed. And, and you have this idea because you watch Disney that you can change Okay, but really, I think that's where it comes from. It's Hollywood, you can change this guy. And, and, it, and it just doesn't happen that way. So you have this idea, well, I'm gonna fix him, I'm gonna fix him, I'm gonna fix him. And then when he doesn't change, you're really, really frustrated. You tend to think once he's married to you, he'll change. Now you just married a transformer. It was always in there. It was always in there. You just didn't take, take the time to see it. All right, that bumblebee stings now. Okay, you thought he just drove a nice car. That was new to second service too, all right? So what do I do in a rough relationship of any type? All right, let's, let's bring this home. What do I do in a rough relationship of any type? Whether it's your work, whether it's your spouse, your kids. How, what does the Bible say we need to do with this? Well, there is a scripture that says this, do everything as unto the Lord. There are times when you just have to do it as unto the Lord. It's like you're doing and you're doing and it's not getting appreciated. Okay, the expectations aren't being met. And the Bible says when that happens, just do it as unto God. When you're loving your spouse, it seems to be unlovable. You're saying, God, I'm loving them because I'm, I'm gonna love you by loving them even if it's hard. Even though I don't feel like it, even though I don't want to, I'm gonna serve God because I'm gonna serve you. 
It's not that I'm trying to serve a person. I want them to appreciate me. I want them to see my effort. But God, I'm gonna do it unto you because it doesn't seem to be resonating with them. For the Bible says there's times in your life when you feel like you're not getting appreciated at work, that you're not being noticed, that your hard work is not paying off. You just have to say, God, I'm just gonna do this unto you. I'm gonna do what's right just because it's right. I'm gonna do what you told me to do just because you told me to do it. And God, if nobody else sees it, you will. And what I know is that God rewards people who just do it for the right reason. So that verse means a lot to me because there's times I've done things for people and you're like, I can't, I can't give enough. You give all you can and it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. So God, I just have to do it unto you because that's what the Bible says to do. This goes against everything in my nature. If they're hard to live with is to do things as unto the Lord because it, it goes against me. So I have to say, okay, God, I'm just gonna do it unto you. Okay, verse four, he says this, and I love this verse. It's Pastor Stevie's favorite verse in the Bible. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, now look, you can miss this if you're not careful. You can read this as you shouldn't have your own interests. You should just care about what other people's interests are. That's not what it's saying. He says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, meaning you should have interests. You should have things that interest you. You should have things that fill you up. For me, going to the mountains. Do I get an amen on that? That, that fills me up. Going into the mountains, just being away from stuff, that, that fills me. Okay, I grew up in the woods and I love the woods. It fills me up. I'm always better when I come back from the woods uh, because it's just quiet and you're away from things. But what is it that's interesting to you? What are those things that fill you up spiritually? Get your mind calmed down so that you can react appropriately when you get back down into the valley and around people. You should do those things. I think there's times, guys, that we, we're almost led to, to be felt guilty for being a Christian and having fun at the same time. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, you're a Christian, you shouldn't have fun. No, we should have more fun than anybody. We really should. We should enjoy life. Why? Second fruit of the Spirit is love and what? Joy. Not a lot of joy going on in the world. As Christians, people need to see like joy in our lives so they actually want what we have. If we're always bummed out about life, why would they want to serve the God we serve? Okay, joy needs to be, do, do fun stuff, especially with your family. Do fun things. Do fun things. What about your attitude? <laughs> your attitude's an important thing. Um, anybody seen the movie The Guardian? Kevin uh, Costner with the, the rescue swimmer. Um, it's a really good movie. There's a part in the movie where there's a husband and wife that I think their boat sinks and, and Kevin Costner jumps in to save him. And he's getting to the wife first and the helicopter's gonna lift him up. And all of a sudden the husband just grabs the wife and he's like trying to save himself and pushes her under. And Kevin Costner, I think he elbows him right in the face. There's never a good time to elbow somebody. It's when they're trying to push their wife under, right? I'm not preaching. Don't take that wrong. Don't go. <laughs> be like there's five people laying down in the parking lot. They weren't treating their wife right. No, I'm not saying that. See, he, he tries to save himself by pushing her away and he gets punched. Okay, natural instinct for survival. It's not that he's wrong for wanting to live. He was wrong for pushing his wife under to do it. That's what the scene means to me, is, is, is he, was at, he was just trying to save himself, natural instinct, pushing her down. And there are those of us in this place now, maybe online, that that's what you're doing to your spouse and you don't even realize it, that you're holding them under because you're putting yourself first. And the Bible says, don't do that. Don't be that way. Don't be that way. You should let them, if anybody's gonna die, it should be you, okay, to save someone else. Why? Because we're about to see that that's what Jesus did that he gave his life so that we could live. 
Now, verses 5 through 11 talks about our attitude, and it's our attitude should be like Jesus. It says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He, made, he was made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, okay, because Jesus did this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's given a picture of what's gonna happen in the end times. Every person in the world that was ever created is going to say from their mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Unfortunately, if you say it after you're dead, it's too late. Hell is where you will spend eternity but everybody's going to say it, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even the, the deepest, darkest atheist is going to say Jesus Christ is Lord. How do I know that? Because I believe what the Bible says. It says they're gonna say it. I, I say, say it now while you still have a chance, while you're still breathing, okay? Why, why does God challenge us to do this? Because he, he wants us to model our lives the same way that Jesus modeled his life. And in other words, he, he was God, came down and took on the form of a man to die for our sins on a cross, but he didn't pull the I'm God card. Not one time did he say, hey, you know who I am? I'm in this body, but you know who I am? I, I was there when the earth was formed. I am the word of God. Jesus never did that. He never pulled the I'm God card. He, he, he said, you know what? I'm gonna show you how to serve. If anybody ever deserved to be served, it was Jesus, and yet he was the one that was doing the serving. And, and he's saying, in your relationships, if you can put yourself in that same attitude, that same mindset as I am here to serve my spouse, I'm here to serve my boss the best of my ability. Again, not talking about anti-moral or anti unethical. I'm just talking, you, you serve people. I, I promise you, God will see that and he will reward you for it. Maybe not this side of heaven, but most likely, but definitely on the other side, that God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the best words you can hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I asked you to do to the best of your ability. You loved that person that was pretty hard to love. You loved through those times that it was difficult, but you did what I asked. You did your best. That's what God is looking for, amen? He's looking for effort. So choose to serve people because it's simply the right thing to do. It honors God whether you get a response or not. And at the same time, you don't have to enable. Because here's the thing, if you serve too much, all the time you begin to enable. But if you just serve your kids and you never teach them to clean their own stinking room, okay, that's enabling, it's enabling. You, 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 you aren't here to be the maid for your kids. You're just not. You have to be able to teach them to say, you know what? If your room doesn't get clean, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna take that phone away, that's mine, that I let you borrow on a daily basis. That will strike heart. Man, almost heart failure in a teenage girl. <laughs> almost a teenage guy too, because that's like their lifeline to the world. So you can use it as a tool, okay? It's a thing, you get them used to it and then you take it away. And if they say you're mean, you go, no, you know what's mean is you break that phone. No, <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do, right? Unless it's an iPhone 5, don't mess with it, all right? <laughs> you, you can serve to the point where it's actually enabling. You gotta, you gotta know where the balance is. That's what we're talking about today, is balance. They need to be responsible to clean their own room. They need to be responsible to take out the trash without whining or complaining. And a parent that doesn't ever confront that, you're raising an adult child. And when they get married, they're going to marry another adult 
that's going to have to deal with the enabling that you gave them. All right? We have to learn how to serve, and we have to teach that. All right. Um, I'm going to have our... Okay. We're not going to sing a song. All right. I get told thumbs up or thumbs down. We don't have a drummer today. Well, we did. Married couple. Valentine's Day. I think they went to lunch. That's good. We love our drummer and his wife. Why is a serpent innocent as a dove? Okay, I'm going to show you a resource here. There's a book. If you struggle with boundaries, okay, uh, Dr. John Townsend wrote a book called Boundaries. Uh, there's a few different ones he wrote, um, but I felt like I was supposed to share this with you. It is the best book I've ever read on, he's a, he's a Christian author, amazing, amazing writer on boundaries, like boundaries in your marriage, boundaries in your home. So if you feel like your life's out of control, you feel like, man, my kids aren't listening or this, my, my spouse is just not listening to me or, or running over me all the time. If you read this book, you will understand that it is, it is a godly thing to put boundaries in order to say, okay, here's my parameters. I'm not gonna let you run over me. Okay, I'm gonna be godly, but I'm not gonna be a doormat anymore. Okay, you don't have to be that. Okay, you need to be a servant, but not a doormat. So that book will help you navigate those things in life. So, all right, it's 12.09, man, half hour earlier than normal. <laughs> not quite a half hour, but at least half a minute. I just have a question. Did you learn anything today? Did you have fun? That was actually two questions, but you said amen. Uh, all right, I hope today was fun. Uh, again, Anytime we talk about stuff like this, or maybe some people go, oh, you shouldn't have said that. Well, I probably should have said that. Because here's the deal, guys. God wants us to have great relationships. And I will say it publicly, God made sex. God made it, and he made it to be good. He made it to be good. We're the ones that ruin it by doing other stupid things. God made it to be good. He made it to be healthy in a marriage between a man and a woman clarify that because that's what the Bible says, okay? And any sex outside of those boundaries is like a fire outside of a fireplace. It will just cause problems. But God made it to be a beautiful thing. He really did. And as a church, a lot of times, I believe we have failed to teach it correctly, that God made it and he made it to be good. And the devil can never improve on something that God invented, never can. God made relationships to be fulfilling. He made them to be fun. Amen. Okay. I'll keep here until y'all, I, I needed like a 90% amen because I'm, I'm doing like a poll here. Thank you. All right. My last question for you today, if you would just bow your heads with me. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for being here, but I'm very, very serious about eternity and where you spend it. And the Bible is very clear that there's a heaven and there's a hell and that you get to choose where you go. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As a matter of fact, every single one of us have sinned. God wants to forgive you, but you have to ask him to. And in order for us to go to heaven, we have to receive him as our Lord and Savior. We have to acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for me and three days later came out of a grave. But he died for my sins to pay for them. But we have to accept that. So if you're here today and you've never made that decision, you've never said, Jesus, I'm, I'm a sinner and I need you. I need you to forgive me. And that's a decision you want to make if you would like to give your life to Christ today. I'm gonna to ask you to be bold and brave. I'm not gonna take a long time. I'm not gonna push you to do it. But if that's you, if you just lift your hand up where I can see it, I'm not gonna embarrass you or point you out, but I do wanna pray with you. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision today? Let's take a moment. Okay. All right, I don't see any hands. I hope that means that we're all right before the Lord. If you haven't made the decision, you're kind of just thinking about it. You're going to look up at me. It's a real easy prayer. 
It doesn't have to be specific words, but you do have to say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. And you make that decision, heaven is instantly your home. Amen. Instantly your home. We don't know when we're going. I, I took a picture of my hunting boots this morning because that's what I wore here. And my, my daughter bought me a new pair. And so I wore those. So I went and get my dress shoes wet and I stuck them by my chair. And then my coat's laying in it. And it looks like the rapture happened. Like I took, <laughs> I took a picture. I said, I, I wore the new boots you gave me. And then I went, that looks like I'm just gonzos. Um, you know, so I took a selfie as I was going out of the ceiling in the rapture. But, but Jesus is coming back. And we got to live like he is. Amen. Hey, I'm going to tell you this. Okay. Go have a good day today. All right. Enjoy the rest of the day. Some of you need to lower your expectations just a little bit. Some of you need to raise them up a little bit. But whether you're married or not, be a bright light in somebody's life today. Amen. All right. Love you. Get out of here. Drive as crazy as you can. All right. Have a wonderful day. Thanks again for coming.